0: All right, hi everybody, my name is Taylor, I'm an alcoholic. Nice to be here. Thank you, Chad, for asking me to be your intro 10. I appreciate that. Um, My sobriety date is December 27th, 2019. And what happened on the day before that day was I got a call from my dad. He told me that he had been diagnosed with cancer and I did not have the emotional sobriety skills to deal with something that was so, Dysregulating, I suppose would be the word for my life. Like I was not able to regulate myself when hard things happened emotionally. And so when he called me and told me that, I took it upon myself uh, to get a case of the fuckets, And I decided that the four months that I had had of my self-willed sobriety didn't matter. And that it was all about me at this point and how bad I was feeling. And so I bought a pack of cigarettes, I chugged some wine, I drove to Laguna Beach, I went to the Sandpiper, I chugged some tequila. I told the whole bar about my dad's diagnosis and wah-wah, poor me. And um, I ended up helping a woman outside, holding her hair back as she threw up, thinking, I'm such a good person, this poor girl. (laughs) And then I proceeded to walk to my car, get behind the wheel and drive, only to have about mm, 35 seconds later to hear that boop-boop. And then I'm like, God damn it, no, fuck. And the reason was because it had happened before and it happened before in 2013, when I was driving home from an acting class in Los Angeles. And the way that we did it up there in LA was we kept it real low key. So we would have wine, we would do our scenes, we would hang out, you know, kind of like Shakespearean style, if you will. (laughs) And so I was driving home and I I got behind the wheel of car. And I actually drove all the way back to my apartment, but I thought, you know what? I totally forgot. My friend told me that she wanted me to feed her dog. And this was a new apartment and I kind of forgot where she was living. And so while I drove in the direction I knew her apartment was, I thought, I'll just lean over and grab my cell phone. And so that I can look at the directions. Well, as I was doing that, I leaned over and I leaned with my steering wheel. And what happened was I veered over, I hit the back of a car that hit the back of a car that hit the back of a car. I smashed my face on the steering wheel and I thought, oh shit, I should drive away. And I'm really lucky that I wasn't able to because I was definitely not thinking clearly in that moment. And I, all I could think about was, oh my God, I've totally fucked up. And now all of these bad things are gonna happen because of that. And by the grace of my higher power, for sure, that was looking out for me at that time,
1: the front of my
0: car was too messed up to move. I was able to barely get it off the side of the road. Um, And I tried to convince everybody that I was just being a good civilian, a a good citizen, I mean, and and I was just trying to get off the main road so that I wouldn't be in, in the way of traffic, you know? So I was trying to do everybody a favor, but that's not the truth. I was trying to run away And I just remember uh, having my dad drive up to Los Angeles and seeing me get in the back of a police car and just seeing the look on his face because so many times before late at night, I had called my dad, um, whether I was freaking out because I had smoked pot and I was convinced I was dying and I was looking for some help or I was too drunk and something was wrong or whatever was going on in my brain that day. And he was just so, he would be so terrified when he would answer the phone because he would always think, oh my God, I'm, I'm just glad that you're okay. And that it's just something that's going on with you mentally right now. And it's not that you've killed somebody, that you didn't get behind the wheel of a car, drive off and kill somebody. And he said, if you do this enough times, that's what's gonna happen. And when I go back to the second time that I got that DUI, After I drank over my dad's diagnosis, nothing changed, but me having a second DUI. And that is really where I started to realize that drinking alcohol does not change anything in my life. There is nothing that will get better if I drink over it, nothing. It is a temporary feigned feeling of relaxation. And that was what I had wanted for so long was relaxation. My brain is the type of brain that will hold on to an idea or a fear or a worst case scenario or some paranoia and it will run with it into the ground until I drive myself absolutely fucking bananas and I just don't want to be in my head anymore and it's not a fun place to be when I feel that way you know it's miserable to be living in my own head and so the way that life took me was <laughs> funny enough I so before I had a real bad drinking problem I was a Disney princess and then I had these dreams of moving to LA to be an actress so I went from being an ex-Disney princess to moving to LA to having these dreams of being an actress and now I'm living in Los Angeles and I'm working with people who are in the industry and I'm in classes with people who are doing the thing but I'm sitting there continuing to drink and drink and drink and In acting, I was dredging up all my old problems and things that I was feeling and using that, making myself miserable, re-traumatizing myself, and then going home and drinking over it and watching my friends succeed and do other things and get places. Meanwhile, that is the hamster wheel that my life became. But I was judging uh, the fact that I was working with people who are smoking heroin and meth in the bathroom to my excessive drinking and driving, and I was trying to weigh it out that way. It's not the same, and I'm still putting other people in danger. And I realized that I was being really selfish. And when I talked about that feeling of after my second DUI having incomprehensible demoralization, realizing that I had made everything about my father's diagnosis about me and calling my dad from the inside of a jail cell, screaming, I'm so sorry, I feel so bad, I didn't mean to do it again. And I realized the next morning when his girlfriend picked me up and drove me home from jail that. I was making it all about me, 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 me. And I finally got into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous after that. And I realized that it doesn't have to be all about me, me, me anymore. You know, working through the steps, changing the way that I look at things, the way that I look at people, not having to, once I feel something, write it all the way out to the end, blow my life up and then just say, I knew that that was going to happen. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous teaches me how to course correct. And that's something that I need so desperately. And there was something that I wanted to read from the 12 and 12 that I was reading with somebody today. And it says, for pride leading to self-justification and always spurred by conscious or unconscious fears is the basic breeder of most human difficulties, the chief block to true progress. Pride lures us into making demands upon ourselves or upon others which cannot be met without perverting or misusing our God-given instincts. And for me, it was always that way. It was, I'm such an extremist in the things that I think and the things that I do, but by clearing the channel, doing a fourth step, being able to get to the root of my problems and maybe why it is that I do what I do, having a little more love and tolerance towards myself and others, and being able to help another person see that within them has really changed the way that I look at, not just myself, but other people. I'm taught in these rooms to see the similarities, not the differences. And when I look at the similarities between me and somebody who seems so different than me, it allows me to practice humility because if I'm not being humble, then I'm totally in my ego and I'm totally back to that place of being all about me, 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 me. And when I'm there, I'm pretty miserable because I usually have a tendency to create this this little self-imposed prison. And then I try and work my way out of it. And I know how to distract myself from doing the really difficult, but uncomfortable things that I need to do in order to actually grow and move forward. Because I find that it's usually right at that point where I'm super uncomfortable and I'm just sitting in those feelings and I'm able to take action and change my behavior is when I cross that threshold, and I'm able to create that new neural pathway that they talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's regrooving your brain. It's I'm an undisciplined person. I need to create new habits because my new habits create my lifestyle, and when my lifestyle changes, then the way that I think and I look at the world changes too. And I've found that Alcoholics Anonymous is the perfect recipe for that. And I've had it been told to me that, and through the book that the The 12 steps are the rungs on the ladder of salvation. And for me, AA is really freedom. Having a connection with a higher power, being able to stand within myself, love myself, and act from a place of dignity, trust, and respect for myself and those around me has given me a new life and a life beyond my wildest dreams. And with that, I will say thank you for letting me share.